0: I'm your host, Rena Friedman-Watts, and
1: this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman.
0: That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan.
1: And I'm a pretty cool dude.
0: All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe.
1: And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up.
0: You are a pretty cool dude. I love you, mommy.
1: Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by.
0: Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know
1: what your problem is? You like
0: me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers,
1: and of course, controversial people.
2: Grandpa, my mom is calling.
1: Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show.
2: Stay tuned.
1: Where's the music?
2: Better Call
1: Daddy, cause he knows your band. Is
0: the he sees will mm-hmm. 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 side. The mm-hmm. your side. He sees mm-hmm. oh, you One thing you need in order to start your business and scale it is the confidence in your abilities to do so sam weinstein worked with some of the biggest names in youtube in order to start his business scale his business and sell it at 20 years old sam weinstein welcome to the better call daddy show i actually reached out to your daddy this morning (laughs) did he tell you
2: not that i'm aware of (laughs) he could i don't know he could have
0: Yeah. So I like to do a pretty good amount of research on people before I have them on the show. And you have a bit online, but the one curveball is that even if I have content creators on, a lot of times they haven't told their daddy's story. So I am actually connected with your dad and I want to dig deeper into that relationship a little bit. I asked him, like, I-, I wanted to know how he felt about you leaving college. I think that in their generation, that wasn't really something that people did.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, for the audience watching, you know, my name's... Sam Weinstein Yeah, I you know started off in the you know YouTube gaming space when I was really young. I was I was a um, you know Minecraft kid. You know just st- started off you know playing video games like every other kid, but you know instead of just playing the games, I would create the games and then upload them to the internet for other people to play and download themselves. That's the really cool thing about Minecraft is that it's not just in a game and there's nothing else to do. There's you can play with other people and there's a lot of interactivity and there's a you know free world that, uh, you can really pioneer a lot of stuff and you can create these virtual worlds, you know, sort of like the metaverse now we call, but you create these virtual worlds, package them up inside of code or or, or files, and then upload them to the internet. People download them to play on their end by themselves or with other people on their own server. And so I was just creating these virtual worlds, whether it's uh, mini games like hide and seek or complete this uh, puzzle. One of them was like I spy spot the difference. So there's two rooms and you have to spot one room and then you have 30 seconds to spot the other room and see what's different. So a lot of these virtual worlds were sort of like. these game shows i created and also worked with other people very talented people online and i would just start uploading these worlds to the internet got the attention of a lot of big personalities online big youtubers online and they started playing it for themselves and recording it for their audience because they found value in these the mini mini games you know people Found it entertaining, started getting millions and millions of views, and kept doing it over and over and over again. You know, so built up a library of games, then, you know, some some of these YouTubers, they wanted me to make custom games for them, started doing that, and, you know, from there, built up a relationship with a few of them. One in particular name is Preston, you know, he's a pretty big channel, a uh, few of them actually, but, you know, started making games for him and, you know, his team, a few other YouTubers, and kept... Providing more and more value, you know, work my way up to you know, not just game developer, but managing a team of game developers and then, you know, actually managing the YouTube channels itself and working, you know, behind the scenes and that sort of uh, production with, you know, working with Google, YouTube, you know, these big, large events and, you know, from the ages of 14 to 16. And then, you know, that was quite the experience. But, you know, as, as far as your question goes, as, as uh, what was it, the college part of the high school?
0: i mean you could talk about either but tell me like how old were you when you first started like creating these games
2: yeah i, w- I was just a 14 year old you know minecraft kid and you just uh, you know upload them to the internet hoping people would play or finding value online you know i'd also go to these minecraft conventions or YouTube conventions and meet people in the industry or you know youtuber personalities and build myself up that way it was just really big inside that space at the time
0: yeah I I saw in one of your interviews where you said there's a lot of like fanboys and a lot of people that want to connect with these youtubers and you just kind of like waited till the end and then went up to them in a very like non fanboyish kind of way just to kind of information seek
2: yeah so if <laughs> I had a great idea and that's at these YouTube conventions, they'd have these meet and greets and a few thousand people get in line. He spent all day going there. And what I would do is instead of being the first person in line and you know, uh, going right away where, where all the the crowd is going. I realized that's too much competition. Everyone's going at the front of the line. People have no patience, especially kids. And you see all these young kids. That's that's the demo for a lot of these YouTubers, the, the kid YouTubers, not just in the gaming space, but I met like I just seen, uh, she's a tech YouTuber. Captain Sparkles, he's another Minecraft guy. Who else? Said it? Oh, I met uh, Vsauce, science YouTuber guys. But, but basically, I, I realized that all these kids don't have any patience. And I waited until I would actually let people cut in line in front of me. And I went to be the last person in line, even though it took s- several hours and what that did is basically all these you know youtubers they're they're meeting the fans all day and by the end they're exhausted so if i'm the last person i have more time to talk to them and, and introduce myself and uh, build a relationship that way and that's really what i did you know one of them jordan captain sparkles i was able to you know make math for him and, and then he played a lot of my games the uh, one of them unfair minecraft and that, that that one just exploded his video got like eight 10 million views something like that but i don't think it would have been that successful if i didn't have patience and wait in line and introduce myself and, and build a relationship up that way
0: did you ever go up to any of the youtubers and they had just like had enough of being there and you're like but wait 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 i'm the last one <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, I met Liza Koshy. She used to be really big. And her voice was gone that day. So, you know, she's meeting fans all day in line and and, and super exhausted and, you know, lost her voice. And she was giving out these $1 bills as a souvenir, I guess. But yeah, a lot of them were very, very tired by the end. But I think that just gave more time for it.
0: I love that approach. Actually, I think that most people, like you said, want to be the first one to try to get up there because they're probably afraid that they might leave quickly or something. That could be. I mean, did you miss out on meeting anyone because you waited too long?
2: Not in particular, really. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I did some planning. I made a list, and, and then just, just stuck by it.
0: Mm. Yeah. So once you connected with the first YouTuber, can you talk about what happened then?
2: Well, I, you know, go back to uh, Preston and you know building a relationship up with him. But there was this, you know, pack event if you want to call it, and he had this entourage of other YouTubers, and you know, I, I went there for the first time, and you know, met. met all those people, and that's really where you know I, I built a relationship up and was able to provide even more value and work my way up from there.
0: Did you have to be VIP to talk to these people? I mean, some of those tickets are pretty pricey.
2: Yeah, I think I bought a VIP ticket once, and then another time, I one of my buddies I, I went with there, I just traded uh tickets with him. And then there, there's three floors, and we take turns going up to the top and, and uh, upper level floor, but uh, don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I've been to some of these events. I've been to a Gary Vee event. I know that general admission is not probably going to get you five minutes with Gary Vee or even a second with Gary Vee. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times if you want to meet the people on stage, you have to be VIP. Did you find that as well?
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people say, you know, NFTs are digital, you can't replace them. But in this case, it's a lot harder to forge an NFT. You can't just trade it with someone. It actually, you know, has to, they have to scan it. So you can't really go up to the upper levels if you're just trading with someone. I don't think anyways.
0: Okay, so you start going to these events. You start creating games for these YouTubers. They start passing you around. You start showing up in their videos. Then you're behind the scenes of a lot of these people. Then what?
2: Yeah, then I built the relationship up that way. And this Preston guy, you know, was just providing more and more value. You know, built these uh, custom games for these YouTubers. And then, you know, started flying out to, this is still in high school. I was flying out to, you know, Dallas uh, a few times a year. And, you know, working on the back end of uh, the YouTube channels there. Looking at the analytics seeing hey how can we increase the you know CTR the the click-through rate on, on the thumbnails how can we make the thumbnails better or how can we increase the uh, uh, amount of time people watch you know working with editors working with really just being a you know entrepreneur that way and just seeing where the, uh, I could optimize and, and grow the business as far as you know adding the most value and, and what was good about it is not only did I have the opportunity to, to do that and, and grow the business from there and you know work on the the business side but since I was so young I was actually the target demo of the YouTube channel viewer. And so I really got a firsthand uh, experience and a lot of innovation came because I was in that demo and I understood, hey, you know, these are why people are watching, you know, let's put this here. And so it allowed me to be much more creative as far as that way.
0: Did you ever have any imposter syndrome?
2: No, I was too busy. Just so much work. You know, I was managing a team of like 50 game developers and that I helped built up. And, you know, we had people from Australia, Romania, New Zealand, like like all over the world. And uh, a lot of these people were, were younger than I, I was or, or the same age and super talented people, like the best of the best. But it, it was just, it's very hard to manage a team, A, that young, but but also like, you know, it was, it was good to build up those skills as far as, you know, management and whatnot. You know, I, was, I would manage like Discord servers, I think at one time, it was like a few, hundred thousand people across various different servers. But it was good to build up those skills and, you know, really work or have that opportunity to work in in a business or in an environment where I was able to, you know, build off those skills and really provide value.
0: What was a day in the life of managing that many people on Discord? Like, what were your responsibilities? What were you
2: doing? Yeah, so I think the Discord stuff, you know, luckily, I worked with moderators and whatnot. and, And a lot of these moderators were so passionate within each Discord that they just did it because and. And they, they really understood the community and whatnot and so it was, it was just from an you know administrator level looking you know is every, everything running smoothly do we need to add faqs do we need to add discord bots or just make sure the onboarding process is, is going smoothly for for newcomers and you know b- really help building that culture within these discord servers you know i, I joined discord in like 2015 2016 so was, I, I was like really early to it you know i think discord is good for a certain demographic you know usually younger people or i know it's like the gaming space is really big finance could be really big for it. But, you know, as far as day in the life, this this was still in high school. So, you know, wake up early, go to go to high school and, you know, take a few classes. One of the classes I, I would do like TAing, like a te- teacher's assistant, and, you know, since I was working, you know, I would go to class, I was like three years ahead in, in the math class, and I would hand out these papers to the students of a test I took three years ago. And they'd be like, have fun, suckers. And uh, I'd go to the back of the class, open up my laptop and just, you know, start coding or, or start working. Yeah, it, it was really a lot of multitasking. And I think I understood that, like, at least for me at my age, like I was the, the opportunity I had compared to any other students at my school. I'm like, why am I sitting here in this English class, like for the 12th year, like, there's, there's no point, you know, it's just the opportunity I had, compared to the opportunity that was you know in school you know was just it, it was nothing and so I think just really being able to explore that and being able to pursue things that are valuable and things that are help me in the, in the future and not be stuck in English class and whichever you know biology class or whatever a lot of this stuff is, is just you know re- you repeat the same things over and over it, it's very repetitive and, and not efficient yeah I, I would a lot of multitasking would, would work and then you know come home keep working and then have dinner and then uh, you know go back up keep working or sometimes I would I would come home off the bus and then you know I would I would, actually, I would film with the YouTubers, you know, games and whatnot. And I think that really took my mind off some stuff. But, you know, it, it was really, you know, fun. But also, it was good to build up those skills and build up, you know, speaking skills or being able to work online with other people remotely. You know, I don't know if it's a, that's my generation or whatnot, but just building up those skills were good. And then, you know, keep working too late into the night and then wake up the next morning, do my homework and then go to school.
0: So you started having those feelings that maybe school wasn't for you in high school.
2: No, it's always been that way. It just really evolved with that that way in high school, even more so like school, the the traditional school was never really for me. I never really understood it as far as the opportunity there, because I'm like, if if everyone's doing the same thing at my school, I'm like, you know, what makes me special? What is like the opportunity that I'm going to have? And so I think I really got, you know, handed, handed, you know, kicked in the face as far as I need to do something. I need to be ambitious and go out and, you know, make something of myself and not just sit back and say, hey, the system's going to take care of me. And, you know, I think I was my parents were very, you know, pro education, go to college, you know, get a degree. You know, I think that that works for some people. But, you know, if you have an opportunity like I did, the real thing would would be to pursue that as far as you can go for that uh, instead of, you know, laying back and, and sitting on your butt and doing nothing.
0: Your dad messaged me and said that you think that college was a Ponzi scheme.
2: I think the college is, is more of MLM scheme. I mean, I don't, I don't want to go too far, but if if you look at the business model of Harvard, you know, why do they have a 58 billion dollar endowment? Just a question that you know you should ask, right? It's like the whole process is, is a, a tournament to get into these schools. You see a lot of people are, they obsess, you know, oh I want to get into Harvard or UCLA or you know I'm a USC chick, and their whole lives evolve around this college cult. It's like now the way it's going, it's like the alumni are once you get in, you you become an alumni. That that's sort of what's going into and the abolish. In the grades and whatnot, or, or putting less of a, you know, merit-based thinking in, into these uh, colleges and whatnot, and it's just sort of a club, and then, you know, a tournament to get into that club, and parents are, are still buying into this debt because they look at it not as a investment, but as insurance. Insurance is, doesn't always go according to plan. And so I would be careful with with all this debt, student debt and whatnot.
0: What are your thoughts around going to college, though, for networking purposes or for socialization?
2: Two things. I, I think that's the main benefit of university is the, the relationship you build. But for me, you know, I graduated high school early. And then, you know, my parents are like, you know, go to college, get a degree. I'm like, Ugh, okay, fine. I got into this. Well, I mean, it was just regular community college, but I graduated high school early, right? The pandemic hits, everyone goes online anyways. So it was like, was it pointless? I don't know, maybe. But then I go to community college but everything's online people i went to high school with are going to harvard and, and whatnot and, and they're being sent home with all this debt and i'm like you know what once you reduce the relationships it's like what's the point of this university anyways it's like you're, you're getting nothing and they're still billing you all this debt and i'm like you know i think at that point i'm like you know this this is ridiculous if, if you don't even get these relationships as far as the college experience the the university experience all you're going to college for is this, for your party you're wasting a your life so that's really what i saw
0: Interesting. Talk to me about growing up in Northern California. Your father too is in marketing. How has that influenced you?
2: It's really good to understand that that sort of stuff. You know, I think he has his role in, in more of the corporate world and I'm more, you know, entrepreneur style. You know, I think my, you know, ambition for business, did he spark any of that? I am not sure, but it definitely, you know, good for, for to have someone to bounce ideas off of and, you know, just see someone that, that sort of understands some of the terminology.
0: Interesting. Have you lived in Northern California your whole childhood? Childhood, yeah. Then you moved to Miami. Talk to me a little bit about that chapter.
2: Right, right. I I worked for this YouTuber... And then junior year of high school just got to a point where it, it was just, it was so much. I was managing this team of game developers. And if someone from Romania didn't finish uh, his, you know his, his work, I would have to go in all night and, and code everything and test all these games and whatnot. And it got to a point where it just was not sustainable. And so, you know, ended up leaving that and had to finish high school, then finish high school, you know, went to this community college and, and whatnot, you know, did some other business venture startups and a lot of them didn't go so well, you know, did this drop shipping stuff, not a good idea. Ultimately pivoted from this drop shipping model to turn on demand model, this clothing brand model, and you know, started this brand called American Waffle. You know, it was this American, you know, patriotic stuff, and, and I think what is it, August 2020. And so this is when middle of the pandemic, and you know, I'm watching this, you know, online. There's a bunch of stuff in the news, it's all like election year or so. People were getting really passionate and all this politics and whatnot. And I asked myself from the from the drop shipping stuff, like, okay, why did it not succeed? Even though it got sales, it was I was I lost a lot of money from it. Why did it not succeed? I think it's because The product itself, it's the people are not passionate about about buying a, you know, made in China armrest or made in China, whatever have you. It's just, it's not something to be passionate about. So I I really needed to find something that A, people are passionate about, but also something that has fast shipping and is a good quality product. And so, you know, good quality product that's merchandise, you know, t-shirts, hoodies, you know, shipped in the US, you know, so less than a week shipping, fast shipping, you know, also something that people are passionate about. Well, I thought, you know, maybe I could start a uh, animal clothing brand, right? But not really an animal expert as far as type on a shirt or whatnot and and then i'm like okay well what about sports and i know i know so, somewhat about sports and then you know research a bit more into it found out everything is copyrighted so nhl nfl nbl can't do anything with that you know <laughs> if you put a basketball on the shirt they'll probably <laughs> uh, sue you so i don't know about that but uh, i needed to find something that is not copyrighted or not trademarked as far as getting me in trouble that way but also something people are passionate about and then i'm like okay well all this you know election stuff's going on what if i just slap an american flag on a shirt or a hoodie and I start selling that so that's what i did. I wasn't into politics at all, or anything, and just ran a ad as an American flag and a hoodie, and it's, you know started getting few sales. It was pretty slow at first. I started testing more and more different designs. This is on Facebook advertising. You know, over time, the designs I really found to be more successful were the ones that were more conservative leaning as far as the demographic goes, and, and more in that area. You know, with this whole election time. You know, for for some example, I had like I, I would Photoshop these different designs and try to make them like funny. Like, I think one of the designs is like a sticker of uh, Nancy Pelosi, and, and it just like uh, the red. Dot on her nose. Like, it was like a na- clown, Nancy Chief Clown, Velociraptor. It was something, something ridiculous. But I, w- I would just like test that. I had no biases or whatever. I would just you know, sit, put it out and see what worked, and uh, look at the comments, and you know did that over and over and over. And you know ended up finding a few designs that really took off. One was like Kaylee McEnany. That one really took off, and that was the winter. And then I found this one. I was searching this Facebook groups. Yeah, I found this this meme that went viral called "We the People," and it said "Are pissed off." And then I'm like, oh, that, that may be good on a shirt. So Photoshop that. to my design and then I put that on a t-shirt and hoodie and ran that and then that just exploded as far as you know profitability and revenue and whatnot just kept going up and up and up and then what are you asking me
0: i mean can anyone do this like create t-shirts with other people's images I was even wondering that about like your YouTube thumbnails that you do like how do you well, know which images you can use without getting in trouble
2: right well you know I, I tried to always create my own images for example I found this meme right and it was a meme online you know I would take that create my own version of it in Photoshop and so w- it wasn't the exact same thing but it had a similar the same or similar message and so you know I think the the whole American space you could put an American flag on a t-shirt you can't make a t-shirt out of an american American flag. And so the American flag is not trademarked in, in that sense. And so a no company owns the American flag. And so that's, that's really why I leaned in that direction and, and you know, pursued further things that way. But yeah, had this, you know, winning design and you know, it kept going up and up and up. And then, you know, on the whole election stuff started to go down and like everything was chaotic. And so that was, you know, good for business, uh, not so good for the country. But and then on January sixth, you know, I wake up and I'm like, you know, checking the news, everything I'm like, what the heck is going on? It's like it looks like the orangutan's in the capital, something's like the shaman. I'm like, what the you you would think it's straight out of a movie. And so I'm watching the news and everything and I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then you know I see it says on the on the chiron it says like, you know, Don Donald Trump has been banned from all these social platforms and everything. I'm like, oh great. And then I see, you know, banned from like Shopify or all these different platforms. And so all his stores got taken down. And what that meant for me is I checked my phone and it went from like, you know, one, two, three thousand dollars a day to like ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars a day, and like ninety percent profit for that whole week. And so that event completely catapulted the business. I ended up doing like a 170000 dollars in a month there. You know, just the the following months were were up and up and up. And that that was really the the event that catapulted the business. And then you know had a few challenges with not really the volume, but the in April the Apple announced this like privacy restrictions and whatnot with Facebook. So that really tanked the Facebook performance. I ended up switching to TikTok advertising. Did a bunch of TikTok advertising, and then. You you know combine the two and then i think the best month was october it was like 170k or something but yeah i ended up doing crossing you know million 1.3 in, in that year and then you know that allowed me to you know move to miami in that pandemic year because you know everything's locked down in california i'm like i got to get the heck out of here so just packed up all my things and you know 2002 honda drove across the country put a you know down payment on a or a security deposit on an apartment and you know was there for a year and you know that was a, a really crazy experience but yeah that really a- allowed me to uh, be more independent and you know Know, just moved to Miami and I think that's what you know I have some family there but that's really where I saw a lot of opportunity and, and I got to meet some very cool people and then yeah had the business was in Miami you know ended up doing they think you know business in total was like 1.5 and then it ended up going through the whole selling process of that business you know because we had some it's very restrictive as far as what you can and can't advertise and uh, I think a lot of these platforms were cracking down on that and we're really just looking for you know I realized I'm like okay I can't do this by myself I need to find some partner or someone that can run the business that has a a greater opportunity than I do with a marketing channel that, you know, Facebook was cracking down on us, you know, YouTube was cracking down on us, Snapchat, not so good, TikTok wouldn't allow us to advertise the product, our email platform banned us, you know, Instagram set shadow banning, and so a lot of these platforms were cracking down on this, and I think it was mainly just for business, I wish they had been more transparent, but, you know, we're really really just looking for the right partner or right person to be able to have a great opportunity with the business, and if they had some sort of marketing channel, if they had a big email list, they would be in a better position than I was to scale the business and have a great opportunity with the business. And with the, you know, midterms coming up, you know, decided to, you know, sell the business and went through that whole process, you know, found a strategic partner, ended up selling that. And yeah.
0: How do you find a strategic partner?
2: Yeah, I work with this brokerage called Quiet Light. They do, you know, a bunch of M&A stuff. They do either e-commerce businesses or SaaS or uh, content sites. And so they have like 20 years of experience as a brokerage hooking up sellers and buyers. And so that whole process was like nine months, really, really, one of the hardest things I've ever done. You have to go through this business summary package, which is like gathering all the financials, all the putting it all into a package. That's like, you know, a few months in itself had some confusion with the finances and, and, you know, getting everything together, got everything together, you know, listed it for sale, took another several weeks, found a, you know, interview, went through the interview process of, of all these different buyers, found one that thought was really had some promising. You know, he said like, oh, I have an email list of 3 million subscribers. I'm like in the political section, I'm like, oh great, you know, this guy's gonna scale it up. It's a much bigger opportunity for him. Then he goes silent. And then, you know, for a few weeks, I'm like, you know, losing my mind. And then, you know, and it comes back and he's like, oh, you know, my business partner had some disagreements or something about whatever. I'm like, what business partner? And then, you know, ended up going uh, silent again for several weeks. And then, you know, comes back saying, now he's saying, uh, oh, I want these uh, earnouts and seller financing, all these uh, other terms, which we had already agreed with before. And so, you know, went silent and then came back again. And he's like, oh, my investor pulled out because the checkout didn't work, even though the checkout was working. And I'm like, what investor? So, you know, ended up leaving that. That guy was was not serious and really cost us a lot of time. It, it was, you know, my fault at, at the end of the day, but I think just really learned the hard way, the MA world and, 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 you know, ended up going back to the table, doing a bunch of interviewing processes and, you know, found one, one person that was a strategic partner and, you know, was really much more quick after that.
0: Oh my gosh. Did your parents help you at all with any of this stuff?
2: No, quite the opposite. I think it was, I was just so pandemic. It made me really cla- claustrophobic. So much so that I'm like, you know, I'm going to this, this online university, you know, taking biology class I take in high school and English. I'm like, why then, why am I doing this? And just got so claustrophobic that, you know, looking back now, if there wasn't a pandemic, would I have uh, made a lot of these decisions? No. But I think just the, the time and environment I was in and the opportunity I had it just propelled me so much to move across the country and forge my own path. And, you know, I think it was good to explore and whatnot and really be independent. But, you know, I really learned a lot of lessons the, the hard way and not a lot of support. And so, you know, I had to figure a lot of things out by myself. And, you know, it was, it was a whole journey, but here I am. So...
0: I want to know about the Miami chapter a little bit more. Who did you meet? What was it like getting your own place?
2: What do you remember? I flew out to Miami. Basically, I flew out to Miami for, for a week to look at apartments, you know, in like that April or something, you know, just to see. And, and I made a list of like 10 apartments. By the time I flew out there, and this is a pandemic, like Florida is the only state that's open. By the time I flew out there, half the apartments completely sold out. And so I'm doing this, you know, apartment touring and whatnot. And, uh, you know, one of them was like, uh, eh, downtown in, in the city, really claustrophobic. And I'm like, okay, no, that's t- that's not good. I uh, ended up finding, you know, one apartment that was, you know, right on the river, had a great view, and you know, it was really a, a good opportunity at, at that point. It was a new apartment as well, and so you know, ended up putting a security deposit there and flying back, packing up all my stuff in two thousand two. Honda driving six days across the country broke down one day in Texas. That was a fun experience. Basically ran out of gas in the middle of Texas. Uh, there's a storm coming and and had to wait for AAA for several hours. I'm like, oh my god, what am I doing here? I found someone on the side of the road. Ended up helping me and, and went to the gas station a mile down. And that was a, a 14, 15 hour driving day. So not the most fun, but ended up making you know six day journey across the country and got to Miami. You know moved in and you know I think looking back, I wish I had you know ex- explored more as far as you know meeting more people. You know. I Went to several events which i think was good i think you know one of the things that really helped me especially miami is that i was too young to drink and so i think if, if i was 21 then i would have made some dumb really dumb decisions and so i think by not being being able to go out in all the clubs and you know i've heard horror stories of just you know people going into the club and then the next morning what the hell happened and now i'm at chase bank you know refunding all my you know 10 grand bottle service and things that i'm getting being charged for and so i think you know that was a good but good thing but you know i met i met a lot of people there i, th- I would say 80 percent of the people i met. New Yorkers just flying down, either snowbirds or whatnot. But, you know, a lot of interesting people, a lot of uh, interesting experiences. You know, I went to a few mu- music festivals, which I think I'm over now. But that was very, very, very crazy. I had to get out of my system because the pandemic and when I was so claustrophobic, I had to get out there. So, you know, went to a lot of events, met a lot of really cool people. And that's a lot of the, the things I was doing in, in Miami then.
0: Which events?
2: As far as the music festivals, the, the first one was called Rolling Loud. And it's like a hip hop festival. Now, this is the summer of 2020. So keep in mind, like country is completely closed. I think that the vaccines were rolling out and whatnot. You know, so I, I went to this music festival. It's it the first one that opened up. Keep in mind, it's hip hop, everything. So, and everything's outside, right? And so the middle of pandemic, who do you think is going to come to a music festival with 80,000 people, right? A lot of young kids, a lot of 18 to 16 to 20 or 21 year olds are around that area. And So you had 80,000 people, middle of pandemic. I went to this, you know, Don Tolliver was playing. He's like one of the popular rappers. He was at a section. And so, yeah, 80,000 people, these massive crowds, everyone's standing up. Luckily, I had a camel back with some hiking backpack with some water, which was, you got to get some water at, at these uh, festivals. But it's it just, it's absolutely bonkers. I mean, it's called Rolling Loud for a reason, you know, and so everyone's on marijuana, everyone's high out of their mind, high to the sky and, you know, drinking and whatnot. And it's a very chaotic environment. And so I went, I was sort of going to the middle section and I was like, oh, I'll get there early to get a good view, get a good sound, right? But what happened is the middle turned into the front because everyone kept piling on, you know, during the the actual set, I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone's like piling, piling, piling on me. I got to get out of here. You can't get out of there. And so it's really, really crazy. You have all the big mosh pits and everything and everyone's coming together. It's a wild experience. And if you're not like at least six foot tall, don't even bother going into the mosh pits or, or anything. Like you'll get crushed.
0: What else have you taken from the pandemic? You mentioned claustrophobia a bunch of times. Like what are you doing to work
2: on that? Yeah. I mean, just, you know, getting out, going to the gym. Not being locked in, I think it's much better now. We're not forced to be locked in, you know, California and whatnot. But now it's a lot better. You can you can do what you please, and so there's really not a lot of issue as far as you know physically. You know, I think a lot of people. You had the all online boom and, and Zoom and whatnot, and so a lot of people are, are stuck online and spending too much. I wouldn't say too much time online, but we're not really all their social connections are online. Which for me, I grew up on. You know, I was doing all this work online, and so I I was able to build the skills and be able to communicate online and, and build you know relationships that way and, and understand that way. But a lot of people don't especially, you know, these young kids. And so you see all these, you know, school kids going online, and it's like, they have no idea what they're doing. And the adults too, that have, you know, grown up, you know, everything's in person and whatnot. So they don't exactly either know or understand or like to, you know, navigate the online world as far as, you know, learning and and whatnot. And so for me, it it was not not a very big problem, but I I could see how it could be.
0: What have you learned about creating online communities?
2: You know, you got to build culture and you got to just build relationships, you know, right? You're running a business and you're not like, emailing or or you're not like texting or not, you're not building those relationships with customers or, you know, with with, who's ever in the community, it's not going to last. And so just building those relationships, I think are very important. Getting that talking with one another and communicating with one another is, is, is very important. any way you can do.
0: Do you have any tips on how to reach big YouTubers?
2: Yeah, provide value. That's it. I mean, like what I'm doing right now, I'm posting these, you know, merchandise reviews because I'm doing some uh, consulting for some big YouTubers and you know, merchandise e-commerce brands. You know, like a coffee brand reach out to me; they, they want some help growing. But I just posted these, you know, merchandise reviews where I'm on their website and I'm recording myself going through their website. I'm like, okay, this, you know, add cart could be here. This could be a different color. This looks like it's from the 1990s. You got to update this. And so just finding like what problems do they have, you know, providing value to them and, and anyway, you know how to. So, you know, for example, when I grew up, the Minecraft stuff, I would just provide, you know, put games online. And so I think the YouTubers, I didn't know it at the time, I was just for anyone to play, but they needed content to show their fans and that was engaging and fun and creative that people would watch. And so that's what, that's the value I provided doing a similar thing now where not in the same way, but providing value in the fact that this could be optimized better or just teaching people how to grow, you know, like, like I was able to do. And as far as the e-commerce side of things, so finding a problem, doing as as many inputs as you can and Providing as much value as you can and eventually you'll get leads and get people reaching out to you that way. So the more value you put out, the, the more you get.
0: What skills did you focus on learning? Are you doing everything right now as far as the content creation?
2: Yeah, as far as the you know, content creation, whatnot. So, you know, I learned how to edit, learn how to mildly code, you know, in Minecraft and whatnot, but you know, learn how to manage a team, learn how to, you know, do e commerce and grow that way, you know, in and, and sort of, you know, the business stuff in general, how business works and how businesses operate. And you know, one of the things with business too, especially, you know, I took two business classes in this community college and you know one of the reasons I dropped out one of the teachers you know he had this like dojo from 20 years ago and and running it on the side but that's more brick and mortar like way a lot of the the stuff was very outdated like he he was like you got to do PPC and, and run you know Google and I'm like this is the way to do it now like I don't know why you're still doing it this way but another teacher was like advanced business class and he never ran a business before he's like open up your textbook to page you know 132 and I'm like wait a minute I I have this you know I saw this video of this presentation I was doing and everyone in the class is like you know doing these mock fake business plans and my business plan was like I already had this business I'm like okay we're on track to do you know uh, 10,000 this quarter and and then in Q4 we're we're gonna hit you know 20,000 or whatnot and so I was I was the only one that that was already doing it and so I'm like why am I learning from this guy that's never ran a business and I'm running a business that's that's already, you know, making some headway. And so I was just like, you know, I try to explain it to people and, you know, even if you look at like these big business schools, like, you know, Wharton or Stanford, a lot of them, you just have these, you know, professors that are, it's all theory. You know, you would think at the, at the best business schools they would have. And they do have some people that, like you know, are, have done their time and, and you know, private equity and whatnot, and, and they're just there for the fun of it, right? But the majority of them, it's all these professors that are just there for research purposes and it, it's really more virtue signal than actual knowledge and it's like you know having a music teacher that's never picked up an instrument right and so you like open your textbook to uh, read the music sheets and it's like okay how do i actually how do i play the trumpet how do i play the piano and it's like oh i don't know i've never done it before and so it, it's just like it boggled my mind i'm like why am i you know learning this stuff from someone that's never in a business And so, you know, I see all these, you have the traditional side of it where, you know, these professors never ran a business, but then you have the way other side extreme where you have all these gurus who have also never ran a business and are just teaching things that are, they're just salespeople. And so those are the, you know, two extremes. And so, you know, I'm trying to like, I'm just trying to, you know, speak from what I know and not sort of like be an expert or be, you know, a know-it-all. And just if I've done something, like if I know how to optimize, you know, this specific part of your website on e-commerce, then. That's what I know how to do. Am I, you know, number one expert in all the world of e-commerce? Absolutely not. And so it's really just speaking on on what you know and what you've done and, and accomplished and sharing, speaking what you can speak to and not virtue signal.
0: How did you learn about drop shipping?
2: Online, these uh, YouTube gurus. And, you know, I, I was young and naive and I had this, you know, pile of cash shaved up and I'm like, oh, well, you know, this can't hurt. And so, you know, I, I didn't spend it all at once, but it, it was a very slow and steady drain. And so, you know, I think I did learn how to market. I did learn how to run Facebook ads and whatnot. And I think that was worth the experience. But as far as an actual business, it's a terrible idea because you know, you're relying on China. What really killed it was, you know, the pandemic and whatnot. But, you know, all, all these shipping ports shut down from China like you know Long Beach I mean you still have ships there from you know one two years ago that's just it, it's such a backup and and so really relying on China in general nowadays is not a good experience you see like Apple you know they are shifting sort of their their manufacturing to India Apple doesn't care about the conditions or whatnot really but they just want more less risk as far as the political situation with China and to move it to India so you know I think the drop shipping stuff it taught me a lot of skills but it was not a sustainable business model.
0: I do feel like a lot of people believe they can get rich that way.
2: A lot of young people, a lot of gurus taking advantage of people. You know, I I know some of these people. I know some of like the top dropshipping guru experts. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm surprised this has still worked this far. I'm like, you know, if there's a market for it, you know, by all means. But the people that are being too naive about it, you know, these these young kids, it's like maybe think twice about putting that much risk. And so I think it's really hard for young people to think of or conceptualize risk because they, they just don't have that experience. They don't have that. They haven't been around around long enough to really conceptualize the idea of risk and once you learn that the hard way which which you know I did with the business and whatnot when when all these you know platforms canceled and and the business went from you know up here you know one month to like way down here I'm like oh my gosh that was a really tough experience but yeah just really these young kids are like I don't know if they're being taken advantage of or not because you know at the end of the day they make the decision but you know you got to think twice about it before putting all your eggs in one basket as far as that's concerned.
0: Also I feel like people launch a podcast and then they want to open a merch store. What are some things that you've learned about that?
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, as far as the content creator side of it, like there, there's two types of, I would say, content creator, you know, YouTube or whatever you want to call it. The majority of people, they focus on, you know, co- creating content. That's their passion, that's their uh, expertise. And that's good. That's what they should be focusing on if they want to, you know, grow their marketing and whatnot. But you got to realize that you're you're not a business person. You're, you know, a content creator. That's your expertise. And so a lot of these people, they do a few podcasts, they do a few videos and whatnot. And then they think, uh, I'm going to be famous, right? Because they see Mr. Beast or whatnot. Well, Mr. Beast, he did it before, you know, six, seven years, eight years before even getting any views. He was just doing it as a, a you know, posting random video game clips and whatnot. And so it, it's really about, there's a lot of sour expectations, I would say, or, or misled expectations. As far as you know, I'm gonna be famous overnight. That doesn't happen, and so you, you gotta realize like who you are. And so if you are a, a content creator that you know is getting steam and wanna you know focus on creating more content, then they you know can open up a merch shop, and it's it's the default thing, and and that's a income stream, right? You know, just put a few print on demand hoodies and whatnot, and, and you know that that's some income, right? And some the majority of people do that. They just have this you know merch shop, which is you know, nothing special. It's just to collect you know extra revenue. But if you are an entrepreneur, you are someone that is a business person like I am, then you have to treat it like a business, right? And you can't you can't treat it like a YouTube channel. You got to treat it like an actual business. And so, you know, you see like Mr. Beast now and, and all these, a lot of these big YouTubers really starting to see, hey, I'm acquiring all these customers for free. I'm getting all this free organic traffic. I can you know, make some money from this. I can grow my revenue from this and provide value to customers. And, and what products can I offer customers that way? And so, you have Mr. Beast with like his chocolate bars, feastable. So, that's an area, something somewhere he could go. And then you have what is it, the Emma Chamberlain? I just did a video on her. She has the, her own coffee. You know, you have a, some other YouTubers doing coffee. You have uh, one YouTuber right now, he's doing uh, these toys. And so, I think you know, merchandise is really the starting point as far as if, if people want to monetize their fan base and, and monetize and grow a, a business out of it. That's a really great place to start. You know, you see like there's a group called the Nelk Boys with Full send. and so they have their Full send merch but, you know, merchandise as far as, you know, shirts and t-shirts is great because the TAM, the, the Total Addressable Market which just means like the clothes apply to virtually all people, right? Unless there's some, you know, tribe in, in Northern Kenya Everyone's wearing clothes, right? And so people wear merch, not because of the, the clothes per se or, or the fabric, but because of the message it displays. It's such a, a wide product. You're able to offer so many people. It's really the best starting point for offering products to your, your fans or, or grow a business out of it.
0: Who should set up a merch store? Like at what place in your following or your community building or your content creating should you start thinking about this?
2: Yeah, I think there's no really set number. Again, it goes back to, you know, you got to de- determine who you are. Are you just a content creator that, you know, I-, I just want this on the side, some little extra income, or are you like, I want this to be an actual business and grow and offer, you know, products and, and grow a sustainable long-term business that way. And so I think if you if you're just a, you know, YouTuber and you want to have an income stream, that's... You know, that's fine. You're not going to be able to grow it, but that big. But if you just want some extra revenue, then, you know, go to Shopify, open up a, you know, print on demand store and and then, you know, promote it that way. Make sure everything is being fulfilled and whatnot. But those are that that's like if you just want an income stream, that's that way. But if you want to grow it into a big business or not really big business, but just business in general, then, you know, you got to have a really brand that's sustainable. And so I think a good starting point, there's no really set number, but once you once you build up a community, that's when I would say, like, you know, you can have a thousand fans, right? Right. But if you have a thousand fans and they're all in a Facebook group and they're all really passionate about one thing and they're all it, it, it's really more about the engagement. rate. Right? Are they engaging? Are they following the, the brand? And so really that measuring the brand in terms of community and, and engagement, like do people are people actually passionate about this? And once you have enough fans like just ask them what they want. Usually, you know, you can, they'll want some, you know, sort of merch or some sort of message to display if they're passionate about a a brand and, and you can start offering it that way. But there's no really set number. It's whenever you build up a sustainable community that people care about.
0: So have you thought about kind of replicating what you did the first time?
2: Yeah, I mean I tried to when this whole you know selling my business thing I tried to launch this this dog merch store which was like a similar concept but but for dog owners but you know learned very quickly that the dog space is very very competitive. I tried to launch this other business, there's like a supplement brand and that was a total I ordered a bunch of these mock supplements and I'm like, okay, do I wanna I ordered like ten of them? I'm like, okay, one of them's gotta be a winner. And don't do this for the people watching, but I ordered a bunch of samples and I'm like, okay, I could either take one a day and say, Okay, this is this tastes good or this is the flavor, or I could just do ten at once and, and be like okay now I can measure this all and so I did the latter and you do, don't recommend doing that but you know as far as a another clothing brand and whatnot I think you know the bigger opportunity for me right now is combining what I know with the creator part of it and the YouTube part of it with the e-commerce part of it and so that's what, I, what I'm really doing right now is, is consulting with you know either these big YouTubers or people that have uh, e-commerce brands that are looking to grow and are serious about growing because you know I, I've done some a bit of consulting for some of these YouTubers and they're like I don't want to grow I'm, I'm, I'm fine where I'm at well you know know. you're fine where we're at now, but we're in a soft economy. We're in a recession. And if you don't, in this economy, you either grow or die. Are you going to be the one that's that's going to step up and and take it, you know, your business to another level and treat it like a business? Or are you just going to let it die? It really takes the right partner and really the right person to understand that, you know, Hey, I have a a great opportunity here. I'm acquiring all these, you know, customers, all these viewers, building up a fan base for free, you know, as far as the, I'm not, I don't have to pay the platforms, which is like a modern day miracle. Obviously I have uh, operating costs with, you know, editors running a team and whatnot, but but you're acquiring all of them for free. And so if you can leverage that, you leverage your audience to grow a business, right? A merch brand starting out. And and that's really where the big opportunity is, is, is going to be. But, you know, it really takes someone that uh, understands the opportunity and, a lot of these YouTubers they think too much like YouTubers, right? The the YouTuber culture is really strong, and so you really really need to to grow a business. You have to think like a business person, like an entrepreneur. If you just want to be a laid back YouTuber and post videos and collect ad money, AdSense, that's only going to last for, for so long. The really ones that are that are serious about growing, serious about growth, are going to be the biggest players in the space. You know, look at Full Send. Look at you know you know I don't like saying Mr. Beast because you know obviously he's the top one, but even like smaller YouTubers that are you know I, I know I know YouTuber uh, fan. They're doing these merch drops and I think they have one, two million subscribers and, you know, they're, they're making a million dollars in revenue each drop. So like each month they're making a million dollars in revenue just by doing these these merch drops. And so if you can offer a, a product to your fan base, to your audience that really they, they really want and they're really passionate about, that's where the big opportunity is. And, you know, my job right now is just help people, help creators or help people who own these brands leverage that opportunity and really connect it to help them grow.
0: What does a merch drop look like? How are they doing that?
2: Yeah, I mean, traditionally for merch drop, I have a style way of doing it. But traditionally, it's the site is like locked. There's nothing on the site. And then you have a countdown timer saying, uh, you know, one day left, two days left. Then the store opens and it's like, you know, a race to whoever can uh, get it first. And so you have these, you know, t-shirts and hoodies that are super limited, super exclusive, priced really high. And so, or more valuable. And so there's more scarcity, more urgency that way. That's what a traditional merch drop looks like. It's just the site opens and then people rush to order. Did you get
0: to work? Work directly with mr beast
2: I did a, a uh, event for you know his his manager you know Preston and him have the same manager and and it was really cool working with that event uh you know he had Big brands and like uh, GameStop sponsored that event. But that that was like a live event where all these YouTubers were doing this live event for I think it was a breast cancer charity. So you know raised half a half million dollars for this this live stream, the gaming live stream for breast cancer awareness. And so that was really cool to to look at that. I basically you know helped build the content for that live stream live event. You know we had these uh, mini games which I was directing the the game developers and, and and testing that and help build that. And you know we created these games for for the live event to host that and and show that content. And uh, that was really a great experience.
0: Wow, what are your thoughts too on Mr. Beast, like practically almost getting canceled over giving to poor people?
2: You know, one of the things I learned, especially in in the political world, it's a lot of it's just media, a lot of it's just marketing. So all the, all this Mr. Beast cancels, it, it's all to get clicks. It's nothing serious. Like it's a few people complaining on Twitter, and then the the media they blow it out of proportion. All the commentators react, and they they know what it's for. It's they it's to the get clicks, and there's a business model in you know promoting this hysteria and promoting this headlines. For people to click on, and uh, oh, Mr. Beast's gonna get canceled? No, he's not gonna get canceled.
0: But also, even in the videos that you make, like you use a hook at the beginning of every episode, and I feel like you you even talked to me too about playing into the hysteria in the comments, and that can be strategic as well. And probably some of the success in your own <laughs> merch company was from the hysteria that was happening in the capital.
2: Yeah, I think w- with with that brand, you know, I, I learned a lot about marketing. You know, some of the things like. I would go on Facebook and argue with people in the comments and uh, with the, on the advertisements itself. And so people w- would get even more upset and whatnot. And, and what that did is they would comment back and that would increase the engagement and boosted the ad to make it cheaper for me. And so I'm like, you know, Keep arguing with, with other people in the comment section, you know, it, it just, you know, it, it's good for business. And so that aspect of it for the, the politics and whatnot, it can get really crazy. And so, you know, that, that whole world, I think it is, is very, is lots of headache and a lot of blown out of proportion and stuff. But as far as like, you know, the marketing stuff and like, um, really great marketing is knowing what the market wa- wants, knowing what your audience wants. And so really doing, you know, market research and, and having conversations with them and asking them uh, in the right way, finding out what products they want and, and, and surveys they want is, a really good thing to do. Like one thing I did is on the every thank you page of the the brand I had, a, a little pop up would pop up and say, "What's the number one reason you purchased this product?" And it, it got like six thousand responses, and and I saw like pro America, oh you know this, oh uh, you know I'm pissed off, whatever, uh, I'm a veteran, and so I really got to see like, okay, this is why people buy the product. This is why. This is the value that the brand provides. And so really get nailing down that, that feedback and, and, and running surveys and, and getting clear on the direction as far as what people want and nailing on that, focusing on that, that's where you're gonna find the most results and, and get the most outcome for, from, from that.
0: I love what you just said about what's the number one reason why somebody bought. I feel like it's really mm-hmm. hard for podcasters to get feedback, for businesses to get feedback. Have you figured out any other questions like that that have given mm-hmm. you a lot of response?
2: Yeah a similar question could be doing the opposite of that which I tried and that's what is the number one problem this product solves and so asking them like finding what problem they're having and what problem it solves that's really your that's really the value of what your product comes from right? You're solving a problem for someone and that's why people buy from your business is the problem it solves, right? And so I think for me, what I really learned is the number one problem, you know, merch in general solves, you know, specifically for for my brand too, is everyone is being, for for my brand specifically, but everyone's being censored and a lot of the demographic is being censored and canceled and what all this whatnot. And so the last place for them to express themselves was a message on their shirt in real life. And so really just the value of expressing yourself, right? The value of, uh, you know, we talk about like the first amendment, the, the freedom of speech, right if you can't speak online and you're canceled online where else can you speak put it on you know everything we wear right our fashion is is what how we display to the world what we wear is more of a message to the world and people realize and so i think the main value of merchandise with a message is to display that message express that message to the world that's the problem solves
0: I love that. My dad will agree with that because he's such an old school marketer. Like he goes around telling everybody it may not be written on his shirt yet. Maybe he needs his own shirt with it. But yeah, he tells people why they should listen to the Better Call Daddy show everywhere. Like he is so old school like that. Do you have a question for my dad?
2: What marketing tactics did he use?
0: (laughs) I mean, like I said, he's he's an old school marketer, you know, he's an old mm-hmm. school deal maker. I mean, he still makes deals with a handshake. Final question, I do feel like I know a lot of people that use Google ads, and their whole business could be based on that. What are your thoughts on Google advertising?
2: Yeah, Google can be great, you know, depending on the keyword and whatnot. I think, you know, it's very competitive, you know, over time, and, and you know, I think with, with Google and the whole AI stuff, Google's kind of sweating themselves a little bit, because you know, they had this monopoly forever, and now it's like oh this this AI stuff ChatGPT and whatnot. It's like our first competitor in fifteen years. And so you know I think Google advertising can be great. I think for me at least using Google you know we were banning Google but using Google as as an extension once you already have a channel built up. So if you're going to start with Google Ads use Google Ads. But really it's it's just serving you know one customer on one channel in one market. And so just finding that at the start not trying all these channels but really whether it's Facebook advertising or TikTok or Google just find one that works and. Make milk it as much as you can and then you know later on down once you you know seven eight figures then you can diversify channels and whatnot but yeah really just looking for that one marketing channel and the one customer to serve and and the problem to solve in the market that's what you really want to be looking for
0: I love that. Do you want to talk at all about mentoring your little brother? Like if you were giving him advice on how to build relationships online or how to find work online, what would you tell him?
2: Yeah, you just got to keep at it. Keep keep going harder. Yeah, and you got to have a tough skin. In this world, like, you know, some of the stuff I've been through at, at such a young age, I sort of jumped in the deep end, you know, doing this, you know, working with all these big YouTubers and in and, and the business side, jump in the deep end. And, and then, you know, from there in the, in the political space, which is like the, the reverse, So you usually see all these old people at the end of their life that go into the political world, which like, you know, I'm texting with like, I had a text community. I'm like texting these 87 year olds. I'm like, "Uh, your short order has arrived. They're misspelling the words and whatnot. I'm like, thanks, Randy, for your order. And so, you know, I think just you got to have a tough skin and you got to have a thick skin. Learn how to accept people saying no do it, whether it makes sense or not, as far as you got, you got to learn to overcome rejection. And, you know, at some point it's like, you know, you, you learn so much that you can't take the stigma of others or, you know, what, a judgment of others seriously, you know, because when you get to the end of the end of your life, when you see like these people that are like the ugliest, you know, hunchbacks in the world, and they do not care at all of what other people think and so if you're gonna be old someday and not care what other people think why not just do it now so that's the advice i would have
0: i love that that's so good how can people find you connect with you support you learn from you
2: yeah sam weinstein you know search me you know i have a youtube channel or if you go to you know, sam co. i have a newsletter there blog there, website but yeah we'll be posting more content linkedin too linkedin is big that's where you find me You've heard from my mom. Now, let's switch it over to grandpa.
1: A key factor in educating yourself is you have to have confidence whatever you do or whatever you search out or whatever you try if you don't have confidence that you can achieve something you won't and you can go to school all you want 100 years but that doesn't mean when you come out of school that you can make it work in the real world you have to have the confidence that if you work hard and you know what you're doing and you do the right research and you do the right variables to run a business you have a chance just a chance to be successful. But you have to have the confidence that you can do it. And if you listen to the peanut gallery and you listen to the all the critics out there that keep telling you, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. And you got to have this credentials and you got to have that, those credentials. Well, that's just really not true, is it? When you go to school, you're supposed to learn how to adapt to the real world going to school has to be where you learn how to learn and where you can figure it out basically on your own. You can't go to school and think that the professor or the teacher or the book, you're gonna look up or ask to live your life. You have to be able to do it yourself. So school is like anything else. It's just a tool in your development. And Sam's case, he knows how to read, he knows how to be creative, and he knows how to do the research And he knows how to experience and learn as he's going along. And he also found out that even though you can have a successful business and you can be very creative in the business that you're in, that doesn't mean that you can just pick up anybody else's business or be able to pivot and be successful at whatever you touch. It's hard work and not everything is a fit in your life. So the person who has to figure out whether it's going to work or not and where it makes sense or not, is you have to figure that out too. And no one can give you that answer. You've got to figure it out and you have to have enough knowledge and experience to know whether something is working or something is not working. Nobody's gonna give you a cheat sheet and tell you the answer. You have to figure it out as you're going along. The life experiences go on every single day of your life and you have to be able to put it all together in your own book and make sure that it makes sense. And just because you have a niche in one thing, that doesn't mean that it's just going to fall out of the sky and you're going to be able to pick up another niche and another niche. However... People that are successful sometimes get other people that know something and they're able to incorporate other people's ideas and sometimes they join in and can learn from someone else's love and passion and has experienced the hard work and has gone down that road and they sometimes join in and they can expand their boundaries by getting a lot of other people included in their network and in their dream. And isn't that what's going on with social media today? And especially the Better Call Daddy show is that we share ideas and ideals and passion of a story of not just our story, but your story. And if we share all these ideas, then something good can come out of it and others can learn from it. And we also gain some wisdom where we can also look forward to doing better in our own lives. I love that plug that you put in there
0: every time. Way to go, dad. (laughs)
1: but look how he also says do you have to be an old lady or an old man before you decide that you don't really give a shit what somebody says to you or what they think why wait till you're 60 70 or 80 years old to not give a shit what anybody says you can do that even at a young age that if they don't make sense to you or they're trying to stifle your growth is tell them That it's not going to have an effect on your life in a nice way. I feel like you've
0: been doing that your whole life. Right. Otherwise,
1: my, my dad would say, up
0: yours. I definitely heard your dad say that.
1: Right. So that's the funny part is, is that he had enough life experiences where didn't let him stop from trying to succeed, even with the many failures. What Sam Weinstein also brings up in this episode, to reiterate, is that after being very successful, he tries two or three or four other things. But because he knows also the formula of success, he sees that it doesn't work on two or three other things. He knows to say, hey, this is not going to work. So he knows what success is. He knows what failure is. And He wants to succeed. There's another point that comes out in this is that you can't sit on your laurels. Even if you're being successful, you got to continue to come up with new moves, new ideas, new ways of getting your message out Otherwise, it can get stale and it can falter and even a very successful business can be running hard for a year or two and then all of a sudden fail because the attention and time and energy and further development that was needed wasn't there. And that's why a lot of times a person even sells out their business at the high because the effort of getting it to continue on that rampage is very difficult. And sometimes you run out of gas and you hope that someone else or another team can take it further because some of us also can't handle the next level because it takes a lot of energy, money, and more people to take it to another level.
0: And I think you would have probably wanted to do that or your dad probably wanted that for the business that you were in. He, He
1: wanted somebody to take the torch. The thing is, is that with this business, my dad had a little bit of a different philosophy. He said that we would run this thing hard. We would take every avenue, put all the work in. We expanded the business for many, many years. But the truth of the matter is, is that we were really a one product company. Or just like if you sing a hit song, what do they call it? One trick pony, you know? (laughs) One hit wonder. One hit wonder. And the funny part is, is that it lasted much longer than we even anticipated. And we also were in the search to see if there was other business adventures we could go into, but to find something that we could do as well was not easy. And we put all our energies in keeping this thing going because it was still the best option for us. The fact is, is that not all businesses have a life expectancy of more than maybe a decade or two before you can become obsolete. So that's why that energy of continually learning and developing and searching for other paths is really necessary in all of our lives nothing stays the same or stands still it's either going to go up or it goes down equilibrium of staying at just a certain level is not necessarily a stable as people might have a pre-notion to that. Well, we just, we'll keep it at this. We'll just keep it at this and it's doing good. And this way we can still have a balanced life and and visit with the kids and and everything. Sometimes it's not so simple. If you don't put in that extra step or that extra energy, it just fails. And then all of a sudden you're, you're out and having to find a different job. I think this episode also gives you some wisdom from a very young man that is also telling you that you have to have confidence, that you have to keep learning, You have to keep it fresh. You can't let it stagnate. And all of these things pertain to everybody in life. And you don't have to say that by going to college, these lessons are learned in the real world. College or schooling... It's supposed to help you deal with the variables in real life, but he's able to do the research and he's able to understand very complicated matters and he is experiencing it, can educate himself without necessarily the tool of the college, because a lot of the things he's studying, he can do without it. And so have a lot of other successful people, but that doesn't mean that that they're not as smart, if not sometimes even smarter, by not doing it. And in my day, there was a lot of people that didn't go to college. They went to trade schools. They learned a skill, whether it was plumbing or whether it was something in construction where they learned farming. You don't learn farming necessarily fully in school. You have to really, that's a a real life experiment. You've got to be out there in the fields to be able to really make it work. But he's got a good business sense. And a lot of that, again, you figure out along the way and yet with the new communication age that we're in, making videos, having discussions, having listened to people that actually demonstrate how to do things on YouTube is is remarkable. You can get a tremendous education with many tools that are on the internet now where you don't have to necessarily be in a classroom. There's a lot of people actually going to school and getting degrees where they never go into a classroom. They're learning everything on the computer online what's the difference if you can do it online yourself there's many options out there that are available if you want to learn you ready to go to youtube university youtube university and of course if you turn into the better call daddy show you'll get a little wisdom every time you listen i love it
0: thanks for listening now i think i'm gonna go call my dad
1: (laughs) I'll say goodbye and see you the next time.
0: Thanks for listening to The Better Call Daddy Show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom.
1: Better Call Daddy is good advice always.
0: Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's a wrap for now.